Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful for the joy we have as believers. Just living life here on this earth, we know it is not permanent, eternal. It is a gift from you to be enjoyed and to be thankful for. We'd ask that we would be continually rendering you thanks for these good things. Lord, we're grateful especially that our lives have come to know your Son, and we have come to know you more and more in the scriptures, and we'd ask that we would seek you. In your Son's name, amen. Now, anybody who looks at the sermon notes and sees right at the top the Song of Solomon, you say, okay, now we're, he's turned, turning 60, he's losing his way. He's trying to get attendance, preaching next week, it'll be the book of Revelation. So anybody who feels a little bit <clears throat> overwrought by the Song of Solomon can clasp their pudgy hands to their ears and... Uh, maintain their purity. Actually, it's not that sort of part of Song of Solomon. Upon my bed by night I sought him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. I called him, but he gave no answer. I will rise now and go about the city in the streets and in the squares. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but found him not. The watchmen found me as they went about in the city. Have you seen him whom my soul loves? Scarcely had I passed them when I found him whom my soul loves. I held him and would not let him go until I had brought him into my mother's house and into the chamber of her that conceived me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the hinds of the field, that you stir not up nor awaken love until it please. Pretty romantic stuff there, folks. Now, I am not among those the early church fathers who, in their Gnostic haze, who found themselves so wonderfully embarrassed by the Song of Solomon and had to make it an allegory for Christ and the church so it wouldn't turn out to be this. So I'm not that sort of person. I think, actually, the Song of Solomon is a, you might say, an erotic political tract you don't, haven't heard that in any church anywhere, ever. An erotic political tract. This is not the point of the sermon, but I thought I'd better tell you. And now it's going to be on the internets. When Solomon's brother, after the death of David, realizing he was not going to end up king, and Solomon had been crowned king, he asks through Bathsheba, Solomon, for the right to marry David's last wife, Abishag the Shunammite. Solomon looks at his mother, Bathsheba, and says, why don't you just give him the kingdom and has his brother killed? He just asked to marry a girl, Abishag. Well, he knew that marrying David's last wife was a great political PR claim for the right to the throne if his brother ever would 
want to try to overthrow Solomon, that would be a great place to be, married to David's last wife. I think the Song of Solomon is the erotic poem declaring the romantic ground of Solomon marrying Abishag. She's not called Abishag in the poem. She is called the Shulamite in the poem, instead of Shunamite. Um, And I would think that there's a political kingdom stability going on. How do you declare the greatness of this now marriage between Solomon and Abishag? That's a theory. You can not have to go with it. But that's what I think is going on with this book. I don't think it's an allegory for Christ and the church. I'm not trying to <coughs> say that the bride here is really you as the church yearning for Christ. But the truth is still the truth. She sought him whom her soul loved. And you know, yeah, you were 14 once. Maybe you still are, even though you're not. Man, the worst times in my life, worst absolute times in my life, is sitting in a movie theater waiting for my girlfriend's car to clear the corner about six blocks down, looking out the window of the theater. They drove a blue station wagon, and I waited. And every car in Ann Arbor, Michigan turned out to be blue that day. But it wasn't her car. It never was her car. We're idiots. When we love, this is a romantic, erotic love here, we seek whom our heart loves. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I won't let him go when I find him. I will go do strange things. I'll get up in the middle of the night. And go looking. Fathers will think this about their children because they love them. Something happens, they get up in the middle of the night and off they go, looking for the kids. Now, it's wonderful when it's Abishag waiting for Solomon. It's wonderful when it's you waiting for your spouse or looking for your spouse and it really all worked out. That's the story you like to tell. You don't like to tell all the stories where you were nearly arrested for stalking somebody. Which is the same thing. It's just a matter of whether or not it was acceptable on the other side. So sometimes it's this wonderful story. Sometimes it's an awful criminal story. And sometimes you look at two people who seek each other like Romeo and Juliet. And just like Romeo and Juliet, they are complete fools. And these are not people that should be admired at all. And you know it's going to be a train wreck. But it's still true that they seek whom their heart loves. We have to stop and say, because the whole process of seeking whom your heart loves is a, is a truth. It just sits on the ground insulting you or praising you. What do the, the, the distinction between the insult and the praise rest on? It's not that you sought. And it's not that you loved. Question is, who is your beloved? What was I reading in? Oh. Samuel Pepys' diary, I don't know if you've ever read it, 
Diarist. I know peeps. Diarist. Diarist of the 1600s, right, during the, right at the time of the Restoration. And he didn't write it to be published. It was a rather direct, innocent, naive, not self-justifying insight into a man's life. What a piece of work. What an awful person. Going to church with his wife to hit on other women. I mean, that's what he was like. But he fell in love with one of his wife's maids, and it's tragic to read the diary entries, one after another, who's trying to sneak out of the house so he can go meet this woman. Even though his wife is screaming in a jealous rage at him, it matters whether or who you love. That you will seek who you love is not questionable. You can't say, oh, I really love Jesus, but I really don't have time for him. I can't tell the spouse that I really do love you, I have no time for you, and you don't cross my mind ever. But I really love you. We know this has to be true. And we know that it's a matter of who is our beloved that is the major question. Jeremiah 8, which I have trimmed a whole bunch. I wanted to leave the whole thing in there, but I couldn't because of space concerns. At that time, says the Lord, the bones of the kings of Judah, the bones of its princes, the bones of the priests, the bones of the prophets, and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that's everybody, shall be brought out of their tombs, and they shall be spread before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved and served, which they have gone after, and which they have sought and worshipped. What a nice list. They loved, they went after, they sought, they worshipped the host of heaven. And consequently, God is going to drag their bones out of their tombs and leave them around on the ground, which is sort of like the big insult. Well, we probably still feel it today, though we're not a death-oriented culture where we, we have necropolises or mausoleums. We just have cemeteries. But if somebody just, you know, after you passed, we, they always call it passing, after you passed, you just, they just roll your wheelchair to the front of the house and <coughs> dump you down the front stoop, and there your body lies until it rots. People walking through the back door because they don't want to see you rotten. Oh my gosh, the insult. This is the insult. Their bones will be brought out of their tombs. They'll be left scattered in front of the sun. All the gods, the host of heaven, that they worship because they loved them and because they sought them. Seeking, a lot of people think. If they put the bumper sticker not all who wander are lost. On their car, along with coexist on the other side, that they have proved something deep and spiritual about themselves. Now they do have proved that they are religious. It takes a religious man to pursue the thing he loves, if it's a religious commodity that he loves. But it doesn't make true religion because it matters not that you seek 
or that you love or that you end up worshiping. It matters who you end up loving that much. We have uh, find ourselves, because we believe that seeking, filling in the blanks, going to the seminar, answering the questions, going on a retreat, you think that if you achieve the seeker status, you've achieved the sufficiently religious status. You've achieved a religious status, but just not sufficiently religious because it doesn't matter that you seek. You need to, you must. Look at the next verse in there in Jeremiah 8. How can you say we are wise and the law of the Lord is with us, but behold, the false pen of the scribes has made it into a lie. The wise men shall be put to shame. They shall be dismayed and taken. Lo, they have rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. Were they ashamed when they committed abomination? No, they were not at all ashamed. They did not know how to blush. You ever stand in the presence of Christendom today and look across it, be it on TV or the internet or people you know, and just your, your jaw starts to hang slack? You cannot believe that people who claim Jesus Christ can live in such raw stupidity, can follow after such incredibly wrong notions, where their scribes, a false pen, who rejected the word of the Lord, who try to fix people's problems lightly by saying, no, no, it's fine, peace, peace, and there isn't peace. And they don't even blush over it. They're not even embarrassed. We don't know, tragically, until much of this bears the fruit. We don't know that we should be, we're not romantic, but stalkers, until we've done some time in jail. A little later, we realize, hold it, maybe I shouldn't have peeked into her window to see if she was breathing. We get people who pursue us in this area. The priests, the scribes, the false prophets. There are people who say, you know, people are suckers for seeking. They're suckers for being in love. Let's make them in love. You know how on Valentine's Day they make a big profit off of you because you feel like somehow I'm not quite human unless I go do some Valentine's Day stuff. Buy some red hearts for, you know, your wife is in no, no way doubting your relationship unless Valentine's Day goes by and she didn't get a red heart full of chocolate. Suddenly, I didn't get what? A card? I have to go out and pay the marketers of this romance. In the church, the same thing is true. They are marketers of a market. Is that I'm pronouncing it right? Marketers of seeking. They turn really pedestrian philosophy into great claims of wisdom. They, train, they, they turn you aside from what the scriptures teach 
And they don't even blush. They don't keep the word of God. But the promise is true. I hear over the left hand side, Luke 11, 9. I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it will be opened. Another truism. You seek what you love was the first. And you find what you seek is the second. Even Jesus illustrates it by pointing to other circumstances. What of you, if asked for bread, will give your son a stone? We know that when you ask for something, you get something. The squeaky wheel gets the grease. Now, I think he's trying to recommend that you seek God here, but it's also a truism that if you seek, you find. So some of this embarrassment is not that there are false teachers out there or women who are false to romance or men that are false to romance. Not only are there bad choices, we are bad participants. We will get what we sought for. Now the Lord, later there in chapter 11 of Luke, I jumped down after verse 10, I jumped down to verse 29. I thought it was interesting how these things were close at hand. He says, when the clouds were increasing, crowds, he began to say, this generation is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, but no sign shall be given to it except the sign of Jonah. The Jews, what's the problem with them seeking a sign? They were looking for proofs. They were looking for the apologetic, that what's Christ going to offer to prove that he was a prophet of God, prove that he was the Messiah. Well, we expect the Greeks seek wisdom and the Jews seek signs. I mean, what's the problem with that? We'd love to have a few more written down in the Bible so we could point them out to people and say, see, this is the argument for this and this is the miracle for that. God was not above giving them a sign. He said, I'm just not going to give them many. No sign will be given to this generation except for the sign of Jonah. Oh, I'll give you a sign. You're going to have to go looking for it. You're going to have to first out figure out what did I just refer to when I said the sign of Jonah. And you go, ah, why couldn't Jesus say, only thing sign I'm going to give you is that I am going to be crucified and then they're going to bury me and they're going to raise them the third day and if you believe in my act as an atoning work for your sins you and lay it, lay it all out. A nice little booklet on Christian theology written by Jesus, not by somebody else. But he's, he's saying obscure things. I'm going to only give you one sign and I'm going to disguise it from the outset. I'm going to keep you from knowing what it is. Because this process of seeking is really important. That I seek is the religious act. That I seek is the loving thing. You know the stalker loves the woman. He just loves who he loves unwisely. She doesn't want him. She's married to somebody else. All sorts of things. But we have to be seekers. We have to be seekers, so we have to be moved to seek. And then, having been moved to seek, we have to realize that in this task of religious seeking, we are 
in, in a world with very little for us to find. It is not written under every paragraph in Western literature. We have to find Jesus Christ, and we have to, we know from the, we're Christians now, so we know looking hindsight, that we found it in Christ. And in Christ is this importance, for as Jonah became a sign to the men of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will arise at the judgment of the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will arise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. And since the question has landed on us, or the task on us this morning is, to find out how we deal with this problem of selecting the beloved that we are after, stir not, stir not up your awakened love until it please, there at the end of, I beseech you, O daughters of Jerusalem, it matters who we pick. Because a lot of seeking is out there, a lot of love is out there. A lot of people who are offering to have us pursue the kind of religion they want us to pursue. And Jesus Christ is standing off to the side going, I'm going to make it hard, but I can be found. We know that since we, it matters who the beloved is, it matters who we assign the great status to. Something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. Well, the wonderful thing about this, you know, you get the, the old New Yorker, if you ever read the New Yorker, they've got great one-panel com comics in New Yorker. And there's always one of the common, uh, what do they call them, cliched cartoons is the wise man at the top of the mountain sitting cross-legged with a robe and some mountaineer coming up and asking him a question and something funny. The thing about these seekers on the long search, the Beatles going to visit the Maharishi Mahesh Yogi in India, everybody groveling in front of what the new guru has to say, but people going on the long search, finding some tribe in the Amazon that has this different understanding. Ours is a little different. We're, we're on that search. We're on that looking. We, want, we have a love for knowing, a love for redemption, a love for a desire to be free from guilt, we have a love for God. We're, we're, we're being dragged along or pursuing that path. Um, he who we seek, the greatest thing, seeks us. I have this Luke 19, and Jesus said to him, this is to um, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come to this house, since he also was a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So not only this is the wonderful thing, it's looking for you. And it's looking for you, just like we have to decide whether or not the sign we are following, the pursuit, the he who we pursue, is the best thing we could pursue. 
that whole process in us is being assessed by the God who is pursuing us. He is coming to seek and to save that which is lost. He could stumble down the average street and find a thousand people who need to be saved from their lostness. He's seeking something in them. We're not hard to find. But he is seeking. I know that sometimes is a little unnerving. We could either think about hunting or we could think about boys and girls. Boys and girls, okay. All right. Because um, you know, we talk about the hunter being hunted, you know, you're out there hunting cougar and then you realize, hold it, it's hunting me at the same time. It's kind of disturbing. In the romantic sense, it's a little disturbing as well. You're out there, young man, you're 15, you're striding through the earth, you're, you're, the world is your oyster, you're going to meet yourself a girl until you realize that she's looking too. And dear heavens, what will she think when she finds you? Are you going to be that which she seeks? My father used to tell young men this, mostly young men because they have no brain. Will she want to marry you when you find her? Just because you graced her with your interest, will she want to? Because she is looking too. Our God is looking, seeking, and saving the lost. And there, since not everyone, most everyone isn't saved, though lost, he is seeking on a standard. You see it throughout the scriptures. So your whole process of seeking is not just a matter of proving that you're the right kind of religious and that you're going the right way in your choices, but that you seek correctly is a measure that God puts on you. I overquote that Hebrews passage. Anyone who would draw near to God must first believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He is seeking those who seek. To him who has will more be given. And him who has not, what he has will be taken away. That's Christ talking there. His seeking and saving the lost is active, but he's looking for the hearts that are on a path of Christ pursuit. Not playing the false pen of the scribes game, not those who reject the word of the Lord and build all sorts of religion up around their life. Not just people who like to be seeking. Not the people who don't know how to be embarrassed about what they're doing. Now that, that made me think when I was, I had run across the Jeremiah and the Song of Solomon passed together and I'm going, oh, how do you work this the way? Thought of Colossians chapter 2. One of my favorite, I love Colossians. You should love it too. Therefore, because we're an authoritarian church, we like to tell people what to do, and you have to do it or you go to hell. So you have to like Colossians. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are only a shadow of what is to come, but the substance 
belongs to Christ. Okay? Let no one pass judgment because you're not doing these things. Substance is Christ. Shadow, church calendar. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you. First, let no one pass judgment. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on self-abasement and worship of angels, taking his stand on visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Just the same as with the church calendar. Those are shadows. He is substance. All this other nonsense is sensuality, and it's not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, why do you live as if you still belong to the world? Why do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things which all perish as they are used according to human precepts and doctrines. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body, but they are of no value in checking the indulgence of the flesh. So let's review, shall we? If you think religious seeking is supposed to be answered by some pattern of religious behavior, be it church calendar or holy days or whatever else you want to put into the, the right, you're wrong. I almost think that's, a, that's an omen that is called a rite, a church rite, R-I-T-E, but it's wrong. If you think it's a matter of how emotional, how much excitement you have in the service, how thrilled you are with the music, how much joy you get from jumping over the pews, dancing with ribbons down the aisle, I don't care what you do. If you think that people having visions and sensuality is what you should be beloved, that we should be beloved of you, you are wrong. If you think that the church that you really need to seek and find and find a, a love for is one that is the most uptight, their knickers in a twist in a big way with a lot of rules, you're wrong. Those are not Jesus Christ. They are not the beloved. They are examples of the false pen of the scribes. They are involved, uh, examples of rejecting the word of the Lord. This is a shadow, the church ritual. The substance is Christ. These are sensualities. There is irrational excitements irrational, puffed up without reason. But they're not holding fast to the head. Oh, well, think we'll make up for it with enough rules. Why do you submit to regulations? Which, believe me, when you face this beloved, this is the established church in many ways. We have had, you know, a lot of dear Christians all over the world, a lot of them doing it right much of it doing it wrong this way. They set up the institutions to have just enough liturgical religion, just enough excitement, 
and just enough legalism. So that you will think you have found the true thing when you find it. Because it does look, it has the appearance of wisdom, right? Verse 23, indeed, the appearance of wisdom. Why does it have the appearance of wisdom? Because you think the beloved is supposed to look like this, with a rigor of devotion and self-abasement and severity to the body. That's what you think your beloved is. It's like a young guy at 14 who thinks it's got to be a blonde. No offense to the blondes. We, we think we're supposed to love that kind of religion. And so the men that are selling, the priests that are selling this kind of religion to you are at fault and you are at fault because you did not stop and say, you know, maybe I better grow up and not just think that blondes are the only thing that is attractive in this world. Maybe brunette, maybe brunettes. I don't mean to say gingers because, I mean, no souls. But besides, besides blonde, there are other hair colors. The church, the people who are in this to get you to serve them, want you to be all about the shadow, all about the sensuality, all about the rules, because that keeps them. Your religion has ended up serving them. Your religion has ended up worshiping them, that church, that doctrine, that history. St. Paul says it's of no value. St. Paul says it doesn't work. St. Paul says it isn't what we're about. What he says we're about is, in this next verse, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, he said, above twice. Not on things that are on earth, in case you miss the above, we will deny you the reverse. Look above, look above, Jesus is above, look above. But what about, no, not down here, look above. But, 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 I gotta fill out my workbook. Not on things that are on earth. Why? Well, he just told you in the preceding paragraph that the substance was Christ. Who your beloved is. That I love a woman who, one, is lovable, worthy of it, and responsive to it. All the more reason that the seeking of the beloved would be a good thing, right? Qualified and seeking me back. Jesus Christ is qualified to be sought. He's seeking me back. He's come to seek and to save that which is lost. But here's another reason. Verse 3. For you have died. And your life is hid with Christ in God. How many times have you read that verse and thought it stood alone? That some sort of metaphysical way, your life is hid with Jesus fine, we could do that. But here in this passage, the reason you see Christ 
is you're dead, you're trying to build a life, and your life is hid in Christ. So that's why you're seeking it. It's hid. It's not made easy. It's not just laid out there on the surface in every way that you might easily find it. It's the sign of Jonah. What's the sign of Jonah? The son of man is Jonah spent three days, three nights in the belly of the whale. Your life is hid with Christ. That's why you're seeking it. But if you think your life is more easily um, um, gained, that your beloved is something that a different life is being built, one that's entirely on this earth, that's entirely going to have the kind of religion that everybody is selling, one version of it or another, of the shadow and not the substance. And the, the tragic thing is, this church can't do any better in providing you with the substance, because the church is not your path to the grace of God. We're just encouraging one another, drawing together on a Sunday to get to know each other and encourage one another in the faith, and point you to the things above. Because you won't find it in all souls, you'll find it in Christ. Your life is hid there. So the thing that you might want to consider You need to be seeking that which is above, not that which is on earth. And the reasons you might not seek that is you don't think you have died. You don't think you're done with you yet. You haven't given up yourself. You haven't been crucified with him. Second thing is you might not think that the Christian life is to be found in Christ himself. But you know, that's where your life is hid. It's not hid in some 10 basic steps to maturity booklet course or seminary or learning all the aspects of your systematic theology. Find it in Christ. Don't think it is found in religious observances of any sort because anyone you might list is on that list in Colossians. Anything you might want to come up with that looks kind of religious to you is probably on the list in Colossians and is probably forbidden. We need to pick our beloved correctly. We need to know where he is. We need to know why we're after him. We need to just be seeking him our whole life. He has stirred up an awakened love, and it can please, because he is seeking us as well. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. That what you want? Is that the beloved you want to meet? Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are grateful that your Son is there for us to seek the substance, the life. Lord, help us dodge the various shameless side paths of religion. Lord, even though those lives fall apart, even though we still persist in doing them in an impudent way. Steer us clear of that, Lord. Steer us each individually to your throne of grace, an understanding of you, 
our minds centered on the things above so that we can bring above to each other every time we meet. Thank you for this morning. In your son's name we pray. Amen.